I'd love it if you'd open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, where we're going to continue our series through, um, through Daniel, faith. No, the series is living in exile. Now, there's no shame in looking at the table of contents if you can't find Daniel. It's one of those books we don't always know where it is, so don't feel ashamed in that. And it's Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of all the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the councillors, the, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the, the horn pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews in the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said, answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the, those men who took, who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking around in the midst of the fire, and, are, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors and the king's counsellors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god." Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do ask that as we come around this passage of your marvellous word, that it would show us Christ, that it would show your, your wondrous works in delivering Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the burning fiery furnace. But greater than that, Lord, it would show your deliverance for many people down throughout the ages. 
We pray that you would teach us through this passage this morning and and that we would have receptive hearts to hear it and to go from this place encouraged and challenged to step out in faith for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before I forget, um, I want to remind you that there is a members meeting on the 26th of August, which is two Sundays away. Um, All members are are, um, urged to attend that, and um, and any non-members as well, you're welcome to come along as well. So it'll be after the service on the 26th. Now, there's a lot of repetition in that passage, isn't there? About the satraps, the prefects, and the musical instruments, and the burning fiery furnace, and okay, we get the idea. This is one of the stories that for, for those of us who, who went to, to Sunday school, it was one of the stories that we were taught. And in some sense, sometimes that's a bit of a, a sore point in that we can become so familiar with these kind of accounts that, that we get a little bit complacent about it. Um, I've got to tell you this. There's something funny that I was taught when I was yay high something that our, our Sunday school teacher told us to remember this, um, the names of these three guys, it was shake the bed, make the bed, and into bed you go. <laughs> Please don't let that be the only thing that you remember out of the service this morning. Now, statistics say that most accidents, car accidents, happen within a 10k radius of home. And this is because we become a little bit complacent with the roads that we drive on. We know them, we've driven this way before, and we have accidents. And I want you to be encouraged. I want you to challenge that, that please don't let complacency creep in with this passage. And we can have a, a bit of a, a tendency to, to see this story as a, as a myth, not, and it's not a story, it's a, a historical account. Again, don't let complacency creep in. We must see this as as, as much of history as Jonah and his, and his big fish, as Samson and Delilah, and more importantly, as Jesus and his life, death and resurrection. So from last week, Pastor Duncan spoke on on chapter 2, where King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he had a dream about this large statue made from gold, bronze, silver, iron and clay. And he commanded that the the wise people of the nation, the the Chaldeans and the, the wise men, interpret the dream without even knowing what the dream was. And because they couldn't do it, he put out a charge that he was going to wipe them out. Well, Daniel and his three associates, Hananiah, Azariah and Mishael, as they're known back in chapter 1, or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Daniel interpreted, interpreted the dream and, and he said to the king that he was the head of gold and that all the other parts of the, the statue that he dreamt um, in, uh, 
gave the image of, of the kingdoms of the earth. Well, of course, this, this interpretation with, with King Nebuchadnezzar hearing the words, you are the head of gold, O king, that was the only thing King Nebuchadnezzar heard. It's like the, the movies when, when the main character hears something that goes straight to their head and all the rest of everything else blurs out and mumbles out. Echoing in King Nebuchadnezzar's mind is, you, O king, are the head of gold. You, O king, are the head of gold. And so King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this statue or this image made out of gold and we're not told what it, what it ex exactly looks like, only that it's 60 cubits wide and 6 cubits high. No, it was 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. So it's a massive chunk of gold. King Nebuchadnezzar completely ignores the fact that Daniel had said that a rock cut from, no, from a mountain by no human hands would smash the human-shaped image that symbolised these kingdoms of the earth. And so into the story come again our, our Hebrew men who have been in exile in, in Babylon, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And out of this story that we see that, that some of us may be very, uh, very familiar with, we see of how to maintain our faith while in exile, in a strange land, particularly when our faith is under fire. The first thing that we see is that that the initial refusal to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's um, statue was a, a silent one. It was a private refusal. And until the, the accusations came from the Chaldeans, who were probably annoyed that these foreigners were, were you know, promoted above them in their own nation, until this these Chaldeans came forward with this accusation. It was a silent refusal, a private refusal. And justice demanded that these three men shall not be condemned on hearsay alone. So, despite King Nebuchadnezzar's furious rage, he gives them an opportunity to recant and to, to mend their wayward ways and obey the king. After all, they were in an exile. They were in exile in a strange land. And despite this opportunity from the king, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego still refuse to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They refused and they were determined collectively to obey God, to not worship any other gods other than the one true God, Yahweh. As I've said, their resolve to, was to honour God peacefully and privately, not, to make, not make a, a public statement, not shout it from the rooftops or anything like that, 
But their private refusal was soon made public by the tattletale Chaldeans. And this is where it gets interesting for them. They're in a place of decision, at a, at a crossroads, so to speak. They can either honour God and hold true to their, their resolve, regardless of what it might cost them, or they can bow down to this king's statue and, and continue to live a peaceful and comfortable life. And in a sense, this is where it can sometimes get interesting for us as well. As Christians in the 21st century, we come across these crossroads from time to time. How easy is it for us to to be a Christian here on a Sunday morning amongst these four walls, amongst fellow Christians? How easy is it when we when we have a faith that is private? How easy is it when people don't know that you're a follower of Jesus and yet the moment they find out, they scrutinise your every behaviour, whether it be at work or at school or just in general. And the moment someone suggests, bow down to this God, whatever it might be, and you don't, you're looked at funny. I think the the most recent test of our faith, our resolve, was around our view of biblical marriage. And the test was bow down to the gods of equality and tolerance. And if you didn't bow down to these gods, the fire was heated up. The Christians were called bigots and, and intolerant. Pastor Duncan said a couple of weeks ago that that we as Christians are known for what we do not stand for or what we don't believe in, right? We don't believe in sex before marriage. We don't believe that we should drink to excess and some of us say that we don't, shouldn't drink at all. We don't lie, we don't steal, we don't cheat, we don't swear, so on. We're enticed to to bow down to the gods of of fun and gods of money. And non-Christians see us as a bunch of people following a bunch of rules in order to work our way into into heaven. At least that's the perception of the church from from media and, and perhaps we even give that off our own self. What if we were to stand up for what we do believe in? What if we stood for knowing what we believe in, what we, what we stand for rather than what we stand against? It would take generations for us to change the perception of society about Christianity. But imagine the lives that would be changed if each individual in this room stood for life in Jesus or positive side of of what we believe that if we were unashamedly proud of the gospel the fact that Jesus came to die on a cross for woeful pathetic and imperfect sinners just like you and me and as a 
as I get back to my point, our public witness is slowly diminishing. And I soon think that it will be reduced to almost nothing. I think there's a need for us as Christians to stop being private Christians. To stand up and make a resolve collectively and individually to honour God regardless of what the trend of the day is. Let us, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, make a conscious decision to honour God both privately and publicly when the test comes to honour him regardless of what it might cost us. But again, let's not just be known for what we stand against. Let's be, be known for what we stand for. Eternal life in Jesus. We stand for healthy relationships where there isn't people giving themselves away intimately because we believe that sex is, is at that time is, is reserved for marriage. We believe in the sanctity of life when it comes to the, the debate around abortion, around violence in general. We stand for the salvation that is in Jesus' name, not just a bunch of rules trying to work our way to earn God's favour. We stand for the fact that we have God's favour because of what Jesus has done for us. We're here to proclaim life in Jesus' name and not what we stand against. In the early church in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were heading towards the, um, the synagogue and, and they healed a man who was born um, crippled. And the story goes that they were arrested and dragged before the Sadducees and the, the prefects and the governors and all the other guys and commanded not to speak of Jesus' resurrection again. But Peter and John's resolve, early disciples, their resolve was to, to say to them, we cannot stop talking about Jesus because of what we have seen and heard. And they basically said, beat us, imprison us. doesn't matter. We won't stop proclaiming the life that is in Jesus' name. Is your faith strong enough to say those words? If you're brought before the, the chief of police and he tells you to stop proclaiming the life that is in Jesus' name, could you say, I can't but do that. I can't stop. Do whatever you will to me. I can't stop doing this. because of what I have seen and what I have heard. In the same way as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego resolved to collectively worship God only, we also need to collectively re resolve to speak the positives of what we have in Jesus Christ with boldness regardless of what it, what it comes Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego trusted God to deliver them. 
But at no point did they put God to the test. They didn't presume upon God. They didn't say, because of who we are, God will deliver us. No, it was entirely up to God. And this, this next point is massive. Collectively, they resolved to not worship any other God but Yahweh himself. And side point, I, I think that there is a need for us to do that today as well. The massive part comes from these words in verse 18. Verse 18 of chapter 3 says, They were replying to the king and they say, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're standing in front of the most powerful person in the entire known, known world at that time. And they can say, our God will deliver us. But if not, it doesn't matter what you do to us. They announce their trust in God to deliver them. And they say, but even if God doesn't deliver us, we will not bow down to your gods. We will trust God himself. We will obey him because he is Lord. Could you say those words? If you were in front of the most powerful man in the... I'm not going to say Donald Trump. But if you were in front of the the most anti-Christian powerful person in the known world today in which in his country if you were a foreigner could you say those words but if not God will deliver me but if not it doesn't matter what you do to me could you say those words if you had a gun to your head or a knife to your throat A few years before we came to to Bible college, probably about 10 years ago, I had a dream, and some of you have heard me share this before. I had a dream where um, our entire family were sitting in church, and it was the church that we were going to at the time. And in burst through the front doors, this man with a, a, a massive rifle. And he said... All right, you Christians, stand up. And Jody and my three girls stood up. But I was too afraid to get off my seat. My faith wasn't strong enough. Like My faith wasn't as strong as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Even in the face of of possible death. A lot changed since those days. We 
We see this morning that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego display a huge amount of faith in God in the face of adversity. They display a huge amount of faith in in God's saving ability but also his sovereignty. Friends, I think we stand in a much more privileged position to testify to God's saving ability and God's sovereignty. Would you agree? Romans 8.32 says, He who, who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How much of a grasp on the good news of Jesus' death, life and resurrection and what it has accomplished for us have we got? Do you and I realise that God gave his very son so that we might come back to him and receive eternal life? Do you realise that God gave his own son for us to realise how good he is, that he will give his one and only son to redeem sinners such as you and I? And as followers of Jesus, we should be able to say that whatever comes our way, whatever, whatever violence is threatened, whatever comes our way, my God will deliver me from death because of the proof I have in Jesus' name. But even if my life is taken away from me, I will still trust him. I will trust him for eternal life. What did Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have to base their faith on? They had the law. They had God's faithfulness throughout their time in exile. But what we have is far greater. We have written viable proof of what Jesus has done for us. If God can do this while we were his enemies, if God can give his only son... While we were his enemies, how much more will he give us now that we have been reconciled to him? And I'm not talking about riches or fame or material things, but eternal blessings. And we're not to do this alone either. We're not to face whatever might come alone. We've been saved into the people of God so that we might be able to collectively face what is to come. If you hear of someone facing persecution, pray for them. If they're right beside you, stand with them if you're able. And trust me, we don't know persecution here in this country. Speak up for those people if you have been given a voice. We need each other to stand in faith and to pray for one another, to encourage one another. Because there is a time coming where we will need each other. Heck, I reckon we need each other now. Do you agree?
Could you say those words, but if not, God will deliver me if you were marched along a, a beach by Islamic terrorists? Could you start singing hymns with a knife to your throat as you won, one by one get executed on a beach in Syria? tough decision here's the good news for us for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego God does deliver them they get thrown into this burning fiery furnace and, and if you don't get the idea that it's a real burning fiery furnace read it again it will tell you it says it a number of times it was hot the king sees four figures walking around in the fire, unharmed and un untouched by the flames. I'm catching up. There we go. He sees four figures, but they only threw in three men. Where did this fourth one come from? Call it an angel, call it... A preemnition of Jesus? I don't know. That might be one question we ask God when we make it to heaven. But they came out completely unharmed by the fire. No hairs on their heads or bodies singed. Even their clothes didn't smell like smoke. And you don't have to hang around a fire for long to smell like smoke, do you? Friends, when God delivers, he doesn't just partially deliver. He doesn't just deliver with conditions. He delivers completely. Wholly and completely. These three men were, were willing to give up their own lives in order not to have their loyalty to God compromised. And God honoured that and delivered them. And again, we stand in a much more privileged position, don't we? Jesus has delivered us through his death and sacrifice, laying down his life even when we were disloyal. And now that we have a knowledge of God, he desires to continue to deliver us from the slavery to sin that we experience and will one day deliver us completely, wholly, for all eternity. The, the overall theme of Daniel, according to Tremper Longman, one of the commentaries that I've been reading, he says that the specific... Uh, in spite of present appearances, God is in control. I don't know whether you noticed that on the front sign as you came in this morning. The specific focus, however, of this chapter is that God's power to deliver goes beyond even death. Finally, the challenge from this, this well-known historical account 
to us is, does your faith stand up under fire? Are you able to stand up for what you believe, regardless of the cost, even in the public arena? Have you come, become a little bit complacent with what God has done for you and I through Jesus? Even in the face of death or the threat of death, could you trust God to deliver you? But even if he doesn't, would your faith stand strong? Would you trust him anyway? When your faith is put to the test, even in a small way, to stand up for Jesus, could you? When your faith is put to the test, when your life is on the line, could you say with all confidence, my God will deliver me? But if not, my faith in him will not falter. I encourage you this morning that if you cannot say this, I ask you to gather some people around you to pray for you, for God to strengthen your faith, for God to strengthen your unbelief in his saving ability and his sovereignty. And perhaps for those of you who are feeling strong this morning, find someone to pray for. Because we all need each other in these times of exile, when our faith is under fire. And in the same way that we can become complacent with these, these stories, these, these roads that lead to home, we can also become complacent with one another here in this room. We, we get familiar. We know each other by name, but do we truly know each other? Do we know the struggles that we face day by day in our workplaces and in our schools? Do we know each other for the, the struggles that, that come across our family? Knowing someone is more than just remembering their names. Collectively, we need each other to stand just as much as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego needed each other to stand before the king and, and to say that they would trust God even if he delivered them or not. We need each other on this life in exile. I'm going to pray and then we're going to come around the communion table if the, if the stewards would come forward, please. <coughs> Let me pray. Heavenly Father, there is a massive challenge here from this passage. And in order for us to stand, stand firm and to trust you, we thank you for the people that you have placed around us and we, we acknowledge this morning that we need each other. We need you and we need each other to, to make it through this life in exile, Lord. For when our faith comes under fire, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our faith, strengthen our resolve to trust you regardless of what it may cost. 
Strengthen our faith, Lord, to, to stand up for what we believe in, that is life in Jesus' name. That is a God who would send his only son to die on a cross for sinners such as us. And that in that name, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have and can have eternal life. Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for relationships in this place to deepen. We ask for the opportunity to pray for one another, to stand with each other and, and to, to be able to testify to your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the emblems are, are handed around, I